Hello and welcome to episode number 21 of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Miller. My guest today is Pastor Alex Seeley. Alex is a passionate communicator and teacher of the word who speaks the truth in love. In our conversation, Alex shares openly about how the power of God has proven real in her own life story. We dive into topics like replacing lies with truths, breaking generational curses, and embracing the wilderness times in our lives. Pastor Alex shares not only about her own lifelong journey of becoming who Christ uniquely created her to be, but also about her journey from Australia to America just a few years ago. Alex describes this time in her life of really having to lean into the Lord and seeking His plans for her life. God had plans that she did not yet know about, and what started out as simply inviting a few friends to their home on Tuesday nights became an accidental church plant and has now grown into the church Alex and her husband lead today in Nashville, Tennessee. Listen to Alex's story and be encouraged about her journey of finding passion and purpose in Christ. Pastor Alex, thank you so much for joining me on the Her Story Speaks podcast today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I kind of came to know of you because I heard you on a podcast, um, gosh, sometime within the last year. And so I started listening to your sermons um, and just, wow, was really just blown away. And now you're some of my favorite sermons to listen to. Um, And then I bought your book and I was, so that's what I want to talk about today is your your book and your story and how you got to where you are. So if you can just give me kind of, for those that don't know you, if you can just give me a little bit of a brief background on yourself, tell us about yourself. Sure. Um, I have been working in full-time vocational ministry for about 25 years now. Um, My husband and I are originally from Australia, and we served in ministry there for many, many years, a couple of decades, and um, really felt God prompt us to move to the United States of America, which was a huge step of faith because we were really stepping into the unknown. Um, but God had big plans. We just weren't caught up with them yet. And so we moved to America with our two beautiful children in 2012. And um, yeah, I, I don't know how much you want to no, know from there on. That but now is perfect. We passed to the belonging. That is perfect because we'll get to um, kind of more detail of that story when we um, get into this conversation. But like I said, that um, I read your book and I kind of reread some of it in preparation for this interview. And what struck me in your book, it was not the story I was expecting. Um, I think because listening to your sermons, you are, well, one, you're beautiful and then you're so confident. And um, so here reading your book, knowing that is not the whole story was just really eye-opening for me. And I thought, my goodness, so many women I think can relate to that. Just your past of insecurities and not feeling like you belong. Um, It was just really eye-opening. And I think a lot of, you're going to speak to a lot of women with that. Um, So kind of, so to delve more into that, take me back kind of to your childhood and um, just a little bit of what you touch on in the book about how kind of right off from you just felt like you were different and didn't belong. Yeah. Well, I think it's amazing because what you're seeing now is the redeemed version Mm. of how God can take a a broken life and make it whole and beautiful. But we don't always start out like that. And um, 
some of us don't have the picture perfect story uh, growing up. And even though I really did have a loving family, um, our family was dysfunctional. And so as a child, uh, when you're spoken over with the words of, you were a mistake, you were the accident that wasn't meant to happen, as a, a very young girl, uh, those words really uh, penetrated my heart and formed a belief system, an incorrect belief system that I didn't belong and that I was a reject and that um, I was really tolerated, not celebrated. Mm. And um, the enemy, who is very real, um, I believe, understands that all of us as uh, sons and daughters of God have a, an incredible destiny an incredible purpose and he's going to do whatever he can to come in whether it's right from infancy to being a toddler to being an adolescent teenager wherever that space is he's going to want to tell you the lie of who you are not and so as a young girl my mum you know being in really quite innocent in what she said um, the enemy was able to use those words of you're an accident you're not you're not meant to be here as something that I took on as well I'm rejected and couple that with a mum who's still you know fractured and going through her own issues um you know then just you know generational patterns of you know speaking negative words over your children like you're stupid and all sorts of things and physical um abuse on 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 levels that you know you just you just right. realize oh I must be a reject I must not be loved here in this family and so it just affirms all the wrong things and that's really how I grew up quite timid and insecure right and then you also talk about um not only that on your home front but being an immigrant to Australia correct that you just yeah. felt like I don't even yeah. belong in this country or this city so um you yeah absolutely so your parents, they were they immigrated to Australia, and you were born there, right? Yes, that's okay. right. But so in the seventies, eighties, um, it was there was still a stigma attached to uh, immigrants, um, especially because my parents had broken English, and you know it wasn't like all the other Australian kids. Um, and so yeah, there was a stigma attached, and so there was a prejudice uh, against uh, European immigrants, and um, and even though it was you know, accepted and normal, but there was just a stigma that you're different to us and you're not, you're not as good as us. And so it was a real hard place to be in because I didn't feel really like I belonged anywhere. And, uh, and that's where I think Jesus came in to fulfill my sense of need of belonging. Absolutely. And it's, um, just a couple things that stick out to me with that is I highlighted so many times in your book where you talk about not feeling like you didn't belong, but then the yeah. irony that that is the name of your church now that you, yes. how, how God used that. And you talk about that, yeah. um, that period, but then, yeah. and we'll, let's talk about that a little bit more later when we talk about kind of that wilderness period, but, um, yeah. going back to what you just mentioned with the labels. And I think, yeah, I love that. Um, just you talk about that a lot in the book because it's something one to be aware of what we label our children and how the yeah. enemy can use that. But then how all our lives we, um, you know, or have these labels on us that we take hold of and think that's, that's how right. we're how we're finding our identity. So tell me the process a little bit of how how you broke free of those labels that you felt on you for much of your life. Yeah. Well, I think the only way you can 
and replace anything is obviously the label, the negative, anything that conjures up a negative emotion in your heart is a lie because God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make anything faulty. Um, society has put us into you know, areas of, well, that's the best, that's the most pretty, that's the most beautiful, that's the smartest. And they've categorized. And so there becomes automatically a label that gets put on us. But that's not the truth of who we are. We're not the sum of what we do, what family we're connected to, how much money is our bank account. We are children of God. And the only way you can replace that lie of any kind of label is by understanding and knowing the truth uh, from God's word. And so I think the, the, the reason why I wrote the book was because in my 25 years of ministry, I have seen so many Christians still struggle with insecurity and not knowing who they truly are. And it just seems like a complete oxymoron that we are children of God and yet we still don't know who we are because of these labels that we've had from childhood or school or leaders or whoever it is from humanity. We seem to listen to that loudest voice rather than the voice of God. And so for me, it wasn't until I really developed a personal relationship with Jesus that I began to discover, hold on a minute, this Bible actually has me written all through it. Mm -hmm. I have to start believing what God says I am, not what society or people or life says I am. And so that I think is the greatest freedom. Yes, exactly. And so why do you think, I mean, like you said, Christians, we struggle with that still so much and believers and those that have accepted Christ, but especially women, we struggle with finding that identity in Christ and listen, not, not listening to the worldly things. Yeah, I think it's just because I think sometimes I think people feel that when they get saved, that that kind of wipes everything and it's Mm -hmm. it like it fixes everything. Now, salvation is a gift that causes us to be justified so that we can enter into a relationship with the Father and have eternal life. But it doesn't it doesn't automatically erase the behavioral patterns and um just our mindsets. We have to renew our mind, the Bible says. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but renew your mind. Um, You have to be changed by the renewing of God's Word in your mind. And I just think a lot of people don't actually take a minute and say, well, Jesus, what do you say about me? Um, That's a huge deal breaker. We go to church, we hear God loves us, But if we don't allow that to go right into the core belief system of our heart, it just becomes head knowledge and it doesn't actually transform us from the inside out. So my passion is that people would actually know Jesus personally um, so that he can transform their lives on a day-by-day basis. Because this happened over a journey for me. It wasn't just a one-day, woof, I'm different, you know? (laughs) Right, and that's such a good point. And you have a chapter in the book... um called the process is the destination and I love that it's like one of my favorite chapters because it talks about you bring up like you know so many of us want to get just to the end of the story and this is what I am but no the whole process is the story and what God has planned for us to get there it's not about getting there and I love that so can you share with us just a little bit of that process for you. I know that um, just a couple highlights that you've struggled with eating disorder and other things to, yeah. to along that road. So how it has been yeah. not an easy journey for you. 
No, and I think I think the the process of freedom sometimes is like layers being taken off, and um, the more you mature in your faith, the more you grow in your faith, the more intimate you become with the Father. It's like He just delicately sheds off layer by layer as you're ready. Because I think with anything, if he were to do it all in one swoop, it can be quite overwhelming. There's a lot of trauma that has taken place in some people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I think God takes us by the hand and says, you know, if you'll walk with me, I'll I'll reveal every issue of the heart that needs to be dealt with at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't encourage people rushing a process because I look over my 20, 30 years of being with the Lord and I just see the the constant reminders and the building of allowing God to soften my heart. Then it took me to respond to that prompting. There's so many factors that I think we neglect in our relationship with God because we're busy doing things for him mm-hmm. instead of allowing him to be in relationship with us. So for me, I feel like I've been in process my whole life, but for different things. I don't think I'm always dealing with the eating disorder. The right. eating disorder was symptomatic of my my root of rejection. But that sometimes takes a little bit of a while to actually realize, oh, the reason I'm doing this is because I just completely feel like a failure and I'm taking control. But that takes time for God to reveal that. And so then that other process of, of me journeying in my calling that that's another journey of a process. So I think God takes us on a full length process, but just I think we just have to learn how to lean in and hear his voice and know when to obey. Right. I think you're exactly right. And like you just said, you have, there's more than one journey and process. Like I got from yeah. your story, you have, I mean, really two main big journeys, your journey to yeah. find who you are in Christ, but then what, what does Christ want you to be in your journey in America and right. the church? Um, yeah. So going back, I noticed something that you did say in your book too, is that you felt called to the ministry at age 11. Um, yeah. And that's, that's pretty incredible that God put that on your heart at that age. Were you, yeah. was your, were you born and raised in a Christian family or where? Yes. Tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about feeling that calling as a woman in ministry yeah. at age 11. Um, yeah. Which it's a crazy for me because I was, it was 1985. Um, Oh, sorry, 84, okay. um, 84 when I got saved. And um, and in those early 80s, especially in Australia, there were not a lot of women in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew it was something God had to put in my heart because it's not like I had seen an example. Like now we have so many powerful women who minister in churches and, and across the earth. But back in those days, uh, I think the only two people that I was aware of was like Marilyn Hickey and Joyce Meyer, you know, like that was it. Right. But they were so far removed from me. They were a lot older. They were American. Uh, So that I didn't really have a great reference at 11. Um, But in fact, I hadn't even known of them yet. That was more in my teen years. But I think it was when I got saved and I, I just remember watching pastors of our church and I just felt this little small still voice say, I'm calling you to be a pastor mm. and to lead, to influence influences, to lead leaders. And I didn't know what that meant. I, I just was like, okay, I just feel a sense of of God calling me to the ministry. I actually went to a Catholic school uh, growing up and, and my nun 
teachers, they, they inspired me the way they sold their life out for Jesus. And there was something in me that was like, I resonate with that. I want to do that. I want to live my life um, for Jesus, you know, but obviously such a seed form. Um, but then it just took years to, to evolve and unravel. Right. And you share um, one of the stories you share with that is even meeting Mother Teresa at a young age yeah. and how that, I mean, can you share that? I love that. Um, just yeah, that, that was that amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah, because obviously my, my te- a lot of my teachers were nuns and, um, and we used to have this little mission box on our um, classroom table that we would be able to give our coins um, to help the mission there in India. And I remember there just always being this little uh, statement under that box with her face on it and it said, give until it hurts. And I always remember feeling that sense of cost, like there's mm-hmm. a cost involved to serving God. And other, obviously in my world, Mother Teresa paid the greatest cost uh, of serving, laying down her life and serving. And so she always resonated with me as someone who I looked up to. And mm-hmm. so at the age of 14, just very by chance, um, but I know it was a God set up for me. I got to meet her just in, in a customs you know, room in Rome. And it was, we didn't even exchange words. We just said hello to one another. But Mm. that few moments of just her looking in my eyes, holding my hand and just nodding her head impacted me forever because I saw what society would not see as beautiful. Yet all she radiated to me as a 14-year-old little girl was you are stunning. Mm. What your, the countenance on your face is beautiful. And the life of laying down your life for somebody else it must be the greatest joy, you know? Yes. And uh, it just resonated with me. And again, that just left an imprint of, I, I, I really feel called to, to lay down my life for others, but still very fractured and broken at the time. And that's why I love God. He uses fractured and broken people and heals them. And then we're able to pass on what God's done for us. Yes. I mean, absolutely. And I think, um, it just, he used that little incident. I think just at least what I got gathered to start healing you as far as what you consider beautiful. Cause you never felt, yeah. you never felt yep. you were beautiful, but then you saw somebody, like you said, that wasn't society standards of beauty, but you just, because yeah. her love for the Lord just radiated. So, um, yeah. and how God just started to heal you with that. So yeah. going forward, so you find yourself, um, you're studying to be a minister. Um, but then yeah. one of the lines you say is, um, even though I was a Christian and studying to be a minister, deep down I felt hopeless and did not want to live anymore, which I think could be shocking to some people because yeah. you were, God had brought you that far, but yet you still had this heaviness in your heart. Yeah. So talk, yeah. a, talk a little bit about that time um, and yeah. where God brought you. Well, I think because I was straddling two worlds, I, I, I was—I knew I was called of God. And see, this is where I find there's so much fracture in ministry um, because people, the gift of God, the Bible says, is given to us without repentance. So the gifts on our lives are God's, God-given. But we as humans need to be whole and healed in order to have authority to actually lead in that fullness. So a lot of people, no, I shouldn't say a lot, but I know people that are are ministering out of brokenness and fracturedness. And so this is where I was at that crossroad juncture that here I am studying to be, you know, a minister. But yet there was still so many fragmented places of rejection 
and hurt and insecurity that I think sometimes we gloss over because we may be gifted, Mm. but we're not taking a minute to actually go, actually, why am I feeling this way? We push through and we do the work of God, but we neglect him working on us all the way through it. You know, I'm still doing that today where I'm still every day going, God, how's my heart? Is there anything that I need to surrender? Is there anything you need to heal? Is there any hurt or, you know, anything? Because I think when we when, when we neglect that, you can actually do the work of God, but inside you could be having quite a crisis of emotional pain. And, um, and we need to deal with that. We need to bring that to Jesus. Yeah, and I think that, again, brings up the whole the process is the destination. And I think the more, the more that we do that, the more we recognize it. Um, cause like you said, like now, you know, like I daily need to ask the Lord, like what, what in me needs to be, um, more like you. So, um, you also share just the profound impact that Psalm 139 had on you kind of during that time. And that to me just showed so much of the kind of the theme for this book is, um, yeah, you created my innermost being. He has a unique plan for each of us. So do you mind yeah. talking about that just a little bit oh, and the, yeah. the impact of that yeah. verse on your life? And absolutely. I actually think that was the biggest pivotal moment for me as a young woman at 21, where I was able to see myself as who who God chose me to be. It was like mm-hmm. my whole life I'd lived with this lie that I was the mistake I was the reject, but all the while not understanding that mum and dad were the vehicle to bring what was already purposed in God's heart before the foundations of the world into being. Mm -hmm. And so it took the whole perspective of my parents have nothing to do with this really, except for the physical act. (laughs) But God had a purpose. It says that I knit you together in your mother's womb and I knew every single one of your days before any of them became and and I wrote them in my book and so what that did to me was like oh my goodness you've got a book with my name on it and you've written out what it's supposed to look like my parents don't have that book Mm -hmm. they didn't fashion me in my mum's womb so I'm focusing on the wrong thing God purposed me to be here Therefore, I have a destiny and a purpose. Now, I've got to find out what that is. And it shifted everything for me. So when I think every person gets a revelation that God actually chose them before the foundations of the world, then whether you're adopted, whether you've been neglected, whether you've gone through a divorce, our earthly parents, yes, they have a very important part in our lives, but it's not the make or break of you. God the Father had an idea way before any human did about you. Therefore, I want to find out who my Father in heaven says I am. And right now I'm living exactly what I believe God wrote in his book for me. And I could have forfeited all that if I'd still believed the lie that I was the mistake. And that's the power of understanding when God says, hey, you're supposed to be here and I have a purpose for you, rather than, oh, I was just the... You know, I was just the product of a one-night stand. I was just the product of an affair. I, my parents didn't even want me. They only wanted, you know, I, I, I shouldn't be here. No, we're all called to be here. And that's why I'm so passionate about life being allowed to be brought forth into this world because we've all got a destiny to change something. Yes, you're exactly right. Um, and I think 
too with that is we're all called, um, hence the title of your book, The Tailor Made, but we're all called, God yeah. has a purpose, a different one for each of us. I mean, yes, yeah. we're all called to be his children and love him and love others, but that looks different for all of us. Um, yes. And so much, I mean, I think is the labels and the, is because we're comparing, you know, I'm not yeah. going to be you. You're not going to be, I mean, God has a yeah. different purpose and Taylor makes it for each of us. Um, that's right. And that's part of that. Right. Part of that process is figuring out what is that specifically um, for each of us. And so exactly. how did you, um, so like you just said, you're living your purpose, your God fulfilled destiny right now, but it took a while to get there. So that verse was life changing for you. So you got into ministry, obviously after you graduated. Um, yeah. so tell me about that. Was that just, um, a pretty easy thing that you got into being a, in a pastoral role in Australia or tell me a little bit of that part of your story. Well, I think everything God, God sets up your journey and right. I don't think it's like oh now I've arrived right. I think that was just a, a puzzle piece in the whole picture that okay this is your training ground now so mm. when I first started straight out of college into a role of ministry I was in apprenticeship and I think I speak about that how one of our you know lecturers got up one day and he said you are about to start ministry but every minister has a 10-year at least a 10-year apprenticeship mm -hmm. so always treat that as a season of training and learning and I think every great man and woman of God goes through a season of apprenticeship and they have to go through a place of servanthood and humility of really laying down everything and saying I'm going to serve somebody else I'm going to serve God and whatever that looks like I don't have a say in it because I am an apprentice and um, so for me those formative years of ministry were such highs but also such lows but it was in those lows that I got to discover another facet of who God is and he was dealing with my disgusting attitudes and my unredeemed areas of pride and um insecurity and so that's why I don't think you can despise any part of your life and that's why that process is the destination because what you're learning in those seasons of wondering what on earth am I here for why am I working here you know I don't want to be doing this God's actually doing more inside of you than he is through you and so we can't despise those small beginnings and those seasons of being under an authority and a leadership that actually train and develop you to become the person that you are so those years of ministry were really great but they were really difficult as well you don't I'm curious you don't really share a lot in the book about this um, but the whole just being a woman in ministry I mean did you find that yeah. difficult because like you said there weren't a lot at that time so was that part mm. of your training? Was that a hard thing? Um, no, actually, that was okay. the easy part because um, in Australia, um, you know, as I was growing up, so obviously when I was 11, there wasn't many, but by the time I got to 21, there were so many in okay. Australia. Okay. And, um, and so for us, and our church celebrated women in ministry. Okay. Um, so it was, I mean, it was still... Uh, pioneering days but you know Christine Kane was one of my mentors yes. and she was in Sydney and she was you know slaying as a youth leader minister in Sydney at Hillsong and so I had lots of examples to look up to but it was very celebrated in our nation um, so really I think the difficult part which I haven't let affect me but it's been harder to be a woman pastor in 
further south than it was in Australia back in yes. the early days. Yes, I can be- believe that we moved. Um, yeah, we live in live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but have only lived in the Bible Belt for about five years, and it is definitely a different um, acceptance of women yeah. in ministry. So I wasn't sure yeah. the culture in Australia. So yeah. that was not part of your uh, wilderness. With no, that, that part was of not it. the journey. Okay, no. gotcha, gotcha. Um, so going back to just a little bit when you talk about the journey with your parents, um, yeah. and kind of you have a whole chapter in the book talking about those generational um, curses yeah. and breaking them, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I love that because we can so much in the society blame our parents or just be yeah. stuck in these labels or roles because of that. But you address that really specifically. And so do you mind sharing just kind of how you, you did that and your advice to others that are yeah. in that? I think it's a, it's such a big word and it can be a scary word when mm-hmm. you hear generational curses, but really if you just have to look at them there, the Bible talks about curses and blessings uh, in the Old Testament and um, it talks about going, passing it down to the next generation in the way you can look at it and the way you can pay, perhaps take note in your own life is there's certain iniquities which are these prone to sins like I've got a bent towards and it feels like it just it overtakes you where you, you just can't get free from it. You have to look at those things especially like anger and um, maybe there's adultery in your family that you just feel like it's rampant. It's like mm-hmm. not just the one-off case but that or the sexual abuse, like my mother was sexually abused, my grandmother was sexually abused, I'm being sexually abused. There's things that pass down from generation to generation that we have to be aware of, that if it, it becomes like, it looks like a pattern in our past. And what it does, it really helps because then you go, oh, it's not just about me, but actually there is a spiritual um, dynamic that I need to help break. And so what you want to do is you want to come out of agreement with that and say, Father, if there is anything, and, you know, I've done it all, regardless mm-hmm. of whether there is or there isn't, just to make sure. I'm like, Father, if there's anything, I pray that you break that in the name of Jesus. And it's an incredible thing um, that those things get broken. And if I have to look at my family line, there were so many things that got passed down. But then we get to be the chain breaker. And if I break this this pattern, then my children don't have to go through the same issues if I take responsibility to break that. And so for us, you know, we don't have an anger problem in our in our family. We don't have that verbal and physical abuse. I'm not passing that down because it happened to me. Therefore, now I'm doing it to my kids. And I've broken the chain of that. And I think, too, it helped me understand my mum so much better because she was physically abused. She was verbally abused. She, you know, had so many things going on that I went, oh, my gosh, this is just patterns that have not been dealt with. And so I'm going to choose to break that in this line. And therefore, my next generation doesn't have to have to deal with it. So that's kind of that in a right. nutshell, in a very, and there very is, small. Right. And the book definitely dives into that more yeah. and some more specifics, but there's such power in that. Um, I mean, yeah. I read, I reread your book last week when I was actually um, with my parents and yeah. it just, it, it just helps open your eyes when you can look at what your parents went yeah. through. And um, yeah. what struck me most is just kind of, and I'm in my forties, so it's taken me a while to yeah. get to this point, but loving your parents differently 
not always just judging or disliking them because they act this or do this, but just loving them because they've been through some hard times too. Um, and they're, they're acting how they know. And it's like, it doesn't just stop by you not liking your parents or, um, being bitter towards them. Like you have to be intentional. Totally. Um, And so I love, I love that point and just how you shared how you, just had a different view of your own mom when you saw what yeah. she had gone through. Um, yeah. And one thing you yeah. say in the book, he said, it's important to know that things don't ever work themselves out on their own. The issues of the past yeah. need to be confronted and dealt with. So yeah. pushing it under the rug and shame, like that's what the devil wants us yes. to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nothing ever, never, nothing ever gets dealt with. So you're always left with the unknown in and, and for me, there was such severe unforgiveness in my heart toward my mother that I could have just pretended like life is good. And it was amicable. And my mum's actually amazing. So it wasn't like we were estranged right. and we hated each other. But there was that little wedge that would always be triggered by something. And that's not a full relationship. And I didn't. I hated living in that space where I would get so agitated and angry because there was so much resentment that I had not dealt with with her. And, um, and I think so many people live with such dysfunction in their family relationships and I'm telling you it passes down to your own and I knew I wasn't going to get this right but I I now have a daughter and a son and I don't need that repeating in my my children's lives and just hearing you say that I mean would you agree that I don't know that we can fully live our purpose in the Lord if we leave that there that wedge and that unforgiveness um, yeah, well, I don't think you have an effective ministry. I yeah. think you can do the work of God because we've got plenty of people doing the work of God. But I think the authority and anointing that you carry makes a difference when you are really surrendered to all these little places in your heart that only God sees. Right. It gives you a greater authority and a greater anointing to move in that. And that's what I felt God said to me. He said, you, you're ministering. But you will never take people where you're not willing to go yourself. So you can either live here, but you will never break through to a new level until you yourself go to the places that I'm asking you to go. Because then you'll be able to take other people to those places. And that's the difference between a breakthrough um, kind of anointing or just nice leadership. Mm -hmm. I think there is a difference. Everyone can move. Everyone can serve God. But there's a difference on that uh, level of breakthrough over somebody's life and authority. Yeah, that's good. That's powerful. And again, points back to this is a lifelong process um, of being exactly who God wants us to be. Um, so can you go ahead and flash forward and just share to us, share with us, you talked about, um, kind of that apprenticeship period, um, in Australia, but then share with us the story of how you did get to America. What brought you here? Um, was that, was that seven years ago? Was that right? Yes. Okay. Seven years ago. Okay. Uh, but it kind of goes a little bit beyond that. I think it was nine years ago that God really pressed on our hearts. Hey, would you go to America with nothing, mm-hmm. to nothing, you know, if I were to call you there? And I, I that freaked me out because I was like, what do you mean? Travel 8,000 miles across the earth. I don't know anybody. I don't have a job. Like, what are you asking? I and did, so did that me- just come out of nowhere or had you and your husband been talking about that for years or did you just suddenly feel like God's like, hey, I think I might want you guys to do this? 
Well, we were feeling a, a, a shift. Like okay. it's funny when you go into seasons, you feel a shift. Mm-hmm. And we were feeling this kind of God, oh God, what are you doing? And it was actually in a meeting, a couple of confirmations where America just kept getting brought up. Okay. And I remember my husband saying, I, I, I feel like we may be transitioning to America one day. And it, mm-hmm. that one day felt like 10 years away. But then God kept confirming it. And that's the beauty of when you're trying to make a life change, a big one, God will often confirm his word over and over and he'll repeat it till it starts getting annoying. So you have to take note of those repeats. And um, so it was actually in this meeting that, again, the preacher was speaking and again prompted our hearts. My pastor had had a prophetic word. Um, I know some people are not familiar with that, but just felt to say something that unbeknown to us, no one knew, but yet God was speaking and it's like, oh my gosh, how does he know that? Like, he's confirming something, Mm. you know? So there was lots of those things, but it took a two year journey of actually getting that into place. Like how, well, how do we get to America? And so our pastors were like, well, apply for that green card lottery. Um, that is free for the world that, um, Americans get, um, they give 50,000 permanent residencies a year into the country. And yeah, and I was, was like I it. was not aware of that until your story. So yeah. I'm like, how? Yeah, I was not aware of that. So fifty thousand, and I think you said how, there was how many million that applied? Like, yeah, fourteen million oh people applied. Okay, and they only give about seven hundred to Australia. So oh, wow. the odds were totally against us. Oh, and um, but we applied, and we're like, all right, God, this is in your hands. Step one: if we're meant to be in America, we're going to get this. This was our fleece, and we didn't actually get it initially, but. Two Two months later, they did a redraw, which was miraculous, and we got the residency card. So we were like, okay, step one, God wants us in America. Step two, let's make all the arrangements to sell up everything and move on this particular date once we have our visas. And then step three, okay, where do we land? Well, Nashville made sense to us because my husband's a worship leader in the music industry, all sorts of things. So it just made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we land here and I don't like it at all. So I'm like, <laughs> I, I, Nashville is not the landing place for me. I wanted to move to somewhere like New York. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, 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 I don't, this is not for me. Had you been to America then, before or no? Was this? Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you knew a little bit. We'd been several it times. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And we'd been to Nashville before, okay. but I think the culture just threw me because it's mm-hmm. very, very different to Australia. And, um, and so it was just like, okay, God, why have you got us here? And it, it was actually on that journey where I really began to discover again, my relationship with Jesus and learning how to hear his voice and act on his word. And, you know, and I think I share that through the wilderness experience where I thought it was a wilderness in the negative, but God was actually drawing me and preparing me for what Henry and I were going to do um, in America. And we never had a church in our heart for the United States of America. We just wanted to serve God in any capacity, perhaps help somebody else, or perhaps Henry just go a bit more into his music. And little did we know that God would reveal himself through a few people in our basement. And that seed, because we planted that in the ground, we were able to steward them well, and God then 
kind of led the way and now we have a beautiful church called yeah. the Belonging Company. And that's just, it's amazing how that came about to me. I mean, yeah. you, you share about not the house falling through that you wanted, but then the one that yeah. God had planned for you is where your, your church started. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell me how you got to that point. I mean, did you, had you been looking for a church in Nashville and just not found one? And so started, yeah. okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So for, we visited about, I think, 21 churches. And that sounds horrific because I'm such a local church girl and I've been part of one church my whole life. Um, But we could not find a place that resonated with our spirit. And it's not that churches were bad here. They just, they just weren't, it didn't feel, it didn't feel right. And, but I think God was actually taking us on a journey to show us what, what needed to take place in Nashville. And, um, and so it wasn't until we were just kind of hanging out with people and asking them, well, do you go to church? Do you like your church? And no one could ever say that they loved their church. And it just was baffling to me. And so I was like, well, I had this just moment of seeing all these musicians and artists where they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know, they were on tour on the weekends. They weren't in church themselves yet. They were doing the work of God, yet no one was pouring into them. And my heart was moved with compassion. So we just simply just had an idea to gather people in our home. And and this is the beauty of God. I feel like he does order your steps. You just have to be in tune to obey him. And so we just opened up our home and there was just seven people in this room. And yet God moved beautifully. Mm. And, you know, the rest is history. It just week to week, we just watched it grow and grow and grow. And then God really asked us, okay, can you, can you do this? This, I'm asking you to do a church and we did not want to do a church, but again, I've learned to, to have a life surrendered of obedience. And so we obeyed and, and now honestly we have the most, we just celebrated five years yesterday and it's amazing. Like it's amazing what God's done. Would you have ever, um, I'm guessing when you moved here seven years ago, you said that, that you did not feel called, like you didn't think you were going to start a church. So it's just no. like the story, such an example that the story Jesus writes for us is so much better than the yes, one. Always. But you had to be very obedient in those steps to him. Um, yeah. And you share a lot, like, like you just said before that kind of wilderness season again in America. And that was a a hard time for you. I mean, you talk about you were depressed here. You're sitting around eating Kit Kat. Like that was not an easy time. It wasn't just like, Oh, let's start inviting people. And then it grew and we had a church. Like it was a hard time. Um, can you speak just a little bit more just to, I mean, maybe to women or men that are in that wilderness season of like, gosh, I thought this is what God wanted, but it's not going how I thought, or maybe it isn't what he wanted. Cause I think that's what we tend to do. Oh, absolutely. And I think you have to learn to lean in, to Mm. surrender it all and do whatever is in front of you and be faithful with it. Mm. So it may not, I don't think it ever looks like how you imagined it ever. Um, And I think sometimes it's in the most obscure things that God actually reveals the greatest gift. So it's about learning to discern and ultimately trust God that he has your best interests at heart. So I had to trust God that whatever place I'm in right now, he has my destiny. He's got it. I have to trust that if I just work with him, then eventually those dreams that are in my heart will be recognized. But if it's not how I want it to look, I have to be okay with that. And I think if we can just lean in and be faithful wherever we are right now, 
he will do so much with that. I think obedience is better than sacrifice. And he just wants us to obey him, follow his lead, and actually serve one another. All we were doing was serving the person in front of us. We weren't waiting for this big opportunity to have this worldwide ministry. And I think so many of the greats of God, they just... They were just obedient to what they were needing to do that day. And I think if we can just trust that God's got our future sorted and just every day reveling in the in the moment that I get to be alive today. I get to love somebody today. I get to minister to someone today. You watch what God will do with a surrendered life. But if we're always pining for what we don't have, we'll miss out on the beauty that's right in front of us. Yeah, that's so good. And you you share about how during that season you did feel like you were ministering to people one-on-one more than ever that you would find in your day-to-day life. So you were loving who God put in front of you and leaning into Him. That's right. So as I mentioned before, like throughout your book, I saw... You know, you you lack that sense of belonging so often in your life. Um, so, did you know that like that's going to be the name for our quote church belonging company or our Tuesday evening group? Where did that yeah. did that come from? That did you recognize that? No, I think what where that came from. Um, it's it, I think it's true how you said it's ironic that I struggled to find a place to belong, and yet now we called it the belonging. But uh-huh. I think for me, because I've been in ministry for you know twenty years. And I'd seen church become this organized religion where people, uh, there were some people that just didn't feel like they still belonged. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think we have to get it right where our sense of belonging comes from Jesus first. And what I, what I was kind of wrestling with at the time was God, I feel like the church has missed it a little bit because when you chose your disciples, they were kind of ragged. They were just unschooled, ordinary men. They weren't rabbi students and they weren't they weren't these eloquent men and women of God who'd gone through all the processes of learning the word and knowing God and that they were quite like a bunch of misfits yet. God had them belong to him before they even believed in who he was. He brought them into his inner circle and said, hey, you're my son. You just don't know it yet. And so it was as he brought them close to him that their behavior changed and they realized who he was and then they changed the world. And so for me, it was like, imagine if we had a church that allowed people to belong before they even believed. Mm -hmm. And then when they got into the presence of God, their behavior would change. Whereas I think the church says behave, then you belong. Get it all right, I could and not then agree. we'll accept yeah. you. Yeah, I could, I could not agree with you more. And like I said, living in the, quote, Bible Belt yeah. for the first time in my life, I feel like, wow, yeah. I see so much of that legalism yeah. and fit this, and then you can come to church. Yeah. And it's like, yes. we've got it so upside down. And um, yeah. that's kind of what I'm just feeling so much on my heart right now. And I think how God, why God put this podcast with like, let's tell yeah. our, let's tell our messy stories and yes. how it's a process. We haven't arrived, but yes. And so that's where my passion is right now. Cause you even talk about in your book, like, um, you know, let's quit with this being fake. Let's be authentic yes. and let, let people see our mess and let's quit. Yeah. Love Let's start loving and quit judging. And I think as a that's church, right. yeah. And I think as a church, that is what, um, 
we are called to do foremost. Um, Amen. And tell me, like, okay, so we see just going a little bit deeper into this, because um, now you've got me a little <laughs> stirred up in this whole yeah. subject, but that whole loving, like, you know, we know, okay, if we go to church, you know, love Jesus, love others, but we yeah. don't, we don't do that. Or we love who's easy, who our neighbor that's yes. easy to love and or exactly. or all our or all our neighbors look like us so exactly. speak, speak a little bit into that um and stir, stir up a stir our hearts as christians a little bit how yeah. we are that call to love and that call to love yeah. everybody not just those who look and act like us that's right well it was funny because before I left it was about a week before I left for America I I was at a conference and they had that beautiful picture of Jesus from um, heaven is for real and that Mm -hmm. little girl who painted that picture of Jesus and the little boy was like that's what he looks like you know and so this image popped up at this conference and it was massive it was on one of these big 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 LED screens I was sitting on the front row and it was like Jesus himself had just appeared to me it was so you know in my face literally and uh, I remember just closing my eyes and saying Jesus what what do you want me to do when I get to America and he said love people like I love them Mm. and I I kind of brushed it off went yeah yeah okay but what do you want me to do and he said you didn't hear me I said love people like I love them and my heart I'm not I don't know what happened. I just burst into tears and I began to sob from a really deep place. And I realized I'd been a professional Christian Mm -hmm. for 39 years. I loved people, but I didn't love the unlovable. Mm -hmm. I didn't love Jesus like Jesus did because Jesus loved Judas. Jesus loved everyone that loved him or hated him he loved them he was on a cross that people put him on and he's saying father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing and it began to wreck me and I felt like Jesus said my church reflects me when they love the most difficult ones to love because the Bible says in Matthew what credit is it to you when you love those that love you What credit is it to you when you lend to those who you know are going to pay back to you? No, no, no. The credit is when you love those that hate you, that do bad things to you, that don't pay you back. That's when, that's when the credit comes in. And we as Christians have become so horrible that if you're not like us, we don't like you. That's completely anti-gospel. And when the church starts being like Jesus, the world will know, oh, that's Jesus' disciples. But right now, the world looks at the church and laughs at it. And in fact, I've just finished my second manuscript and I write all about this. I write about the kingdom of God and how it is upside down and opposite to how we think it is. And so that's coming out in August, but that is a Yeah, you said that's a book coming out this August. Is that? Yeah. Oh, yay. Mm -hmm. I cannot. Yeah. And I, that's awesome. I can't wait to read that because you're right. And I'm sure you being in the church, you're seeing, I mean, you see that. And I think um, this church, especially America needs a huge wake up call. And I think social, and I think social media makes it worse. I think Christians feel like we can throw out these judging comments. And I mean, especially right now, the whole pro-life thing. I mean, we don't, that's a whole other thing to get into, but it's like, 
the judging and the condemning mm. is not what Jesus wants no. us to do. No. Like you said, no. we, we bring it, bring us into the church broken and love them yes. the way Jesus. So was that, and I know we need to wrap up here shortly, but yeah. when you started inviting kind of full circle um, back, you started inviting folks on Tuesday night. Was that who you were inviting in? Just, um, anybody just yeah. anyone yeah just anyone yeah. and this is the beauty of it it's like even just two weeks ago because well, we've been ministering into the jail systems of nashville and one of the girls who's being in this group she told her boyfriend who was in the men's jail he was about to get out and she said you need to go to this church mm. the belonging and he said oh well they're not going to accept me it's a church mm. because um i've got face tattoos and i'm a, i'm a criminal yeah. And she said this, and this is where it blew my mind. I went, thank you, God, we're doing something right. She said, no, 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 no. They're all just rejects mm. that have been renewed. Mm. That just and when she chills. said that, yeah, yeah, I just went, that's exactly what we are. We're all rejects. We are. So if we start thinking that we're better because we haven't been to jail, we've missed the gospel because we're all rejects. Yeah. All of us have sinned. And all of us have been renewed. And he came with his mum mm-hmm. and he got saved. Why? Because he was loved and he was accepted and welcomed with his face tattoos and all. And we have transgender people that come into our church and are getting radically wrecked by the love of God. So That's right. I just, I just, I cannot... I cannot ever, Jesus never turned anybody away. We cannot turn people away and we must speak the truth in love. That's exactly. And when you do that in love, people change. Yeah, you're exactly right. And we, um, I just pray that as a church that we can be more open to doing that. I mean, when you said that with that man said, no, they would, wouldn't want me in their church. Like that makes me about tear up. Like, can you imagine what Jesus thinks? That exactly. somebody would think that about his church, they weren't welcome. So I just, ah, as Christians, like, oh, we need an awakening. Yeah, um, for we that. do. So yeah. y- your church, um, now the Belonging Company, fast forward, um, you have an actual church. Um, and yep. so how, what does your membership and reach look like? I know it's more than what you held in your basement. Um, yeah, well, I, I think it's around where it was so bad because we don't do membership. Okay, okay say people come and join and be part of the family but on our database it would be about 4,000 people and uh, we have four services over the weekend but we do have a a huge reach on our online community as well and um, we're just seeing some beautiful things happen so again I just don't take for granted that every life that walks through that door whether they're with us for a short season a long-term season they're getting radically touched by God and whether they're bringing it back to the church that they've come from or whether they're moving into state I, I think I'm most concerned with the people of finding Jesus being fired up in the best possible way and taking that presence of God wherever they are and being the best version of themselves that's so what Henry and I are about and um, and we're just seeing it on mass and uh, we're so honored and humbled oh. to lead a beautiful church well and like you said you can find um, that people can watch online if they're not in the Nashville area um, and then yep. I you can listen um, like I listen and on my phone on the like a podcast yeah. app. So yep. tell, say, yep. we'll, we'll list it in the show notes, but say where um, you can be found if you don't mind sharing that information. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have a website, which is uh, www.thebelonging.co, not com, just C-O. Co. And then we have an Instagram, which is The Belonging. 
company or co, the belonging co as well. We have a TV co app, so you can find that. It's a free app, and that's where all our podcasts are and anything that relates to us. Um, you can find my husband and I on Instagram, Henry Seely or Alex Seely. And um, yeah, and, and then your book Just, Taylor Made, yes. and we will put the link to that also on the show notes. Yeah. And then has your new book title been released yet? Or no, that's not. Yes. Okay. Yes, it's called The Opposite Life. Oh, good. Well, I'm excited to get and read that one. So, yeah, Pastor Alex, thank you so much. Like this has just been, huh, this has been just amazing for me just to listen to you, and I'm excited just to share your story with others to help stir a passion in them um, and a Thank purpose. You. And um, the, this show is just kind of hitting the iceberg of what's in your book. So I really encourage people to get it and read it um, and just be fired up for what the Lord has planned for them. So thank you again, Pastor Alex. Thank you. Thank you for your time and great questions. So nice. Oh, awesome. All right. Thank you again. Okay. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. I hope this conversation with Pastor Alex has encouraged you to remove the enemy's labels on your own life so you can uncover the truth of who God created you to be. If you'd like to dive deeper into this topic and others that we discussed during the episode, or you want to hear more teaching by Pastor Alex, you can find links to her book and her sermon and where she can be found on the show notes at herstoryspeaks.com.